Welcome to the Performance Therapy Institute podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Pulse, physical therapist and personal trainer at Performance Therapy Institute in Bangor, Maine. I interview health and wellness professionals who love what they do or anyone else who's interesting to me. We find out the how and why they do what they do at work, how they continue to learn, and any information they would like for you to know to help you improve your own health. If you have any questions you would like me to address on this podcast, feel free to email me at Cameron at ptherapyinstitute.com. In this episode, I have Michael Mullen, who is a clinically based athletic trainer with over 30 years of experience in rehabilitation and performance training. He is the owner of Integrative Rehab Training, LLC, which provides rehabilitation services, consulting, and educational programming. He is a clinical adjunct faculty at the University of New England. He is a licensed physical therapist assistant in California and a certified clinician through the Postural Restoration Institute. He has provided consultation, treatment, and presentations to the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL teams, the U.S. ski team, top 10 PGA Tour players, Stars on Ice Tour, Perform Better Seminars, numerous universities, dance companies, and many other organizations, schools, and clubs. As an internationally recognized lecturer, he has presented extensively at conferences and seminars on topics related to sports medicine, rehabilitation, training and conditioning, and respiratory influences on function and performance. Michael has co-authored a book titled Comprehensive Sports Injury Management, co-authored a chapter in Knee Ligament Rehabilitation called New Techniques in Cartilage Repair and Replacement, and published numerous articles in professional journals, mainstream publications, and websites. Most importantly, he is an absolute pleasure to talk to. I am super pumped to have had the opportunity to speak with him on this podcast, and I really hope you enjoy the listen. All right, so with me today, this is an absolute treat. I've got Michael Mullen, who has his own practice um, in Cumberland, Maine. He's an athletic trainer, uh, as well as a physical therapy assistant, which is sort of technical uh, jargon with the titles on that. But if he wants to explain it, he can. It doesn't really matter. He helps a lot of people. That's the important part at a very high level, not only his patients, but he helps uh, myself and, and other professionals learn and, and streamline their process as we go through our own journey of learning. Uh, he has like an awesome resume. Uh, hopefully you heard before we sort of got on here uh, for this conversation for now, but I'm really excited to sort of hear how Michael got to what he's doing and he's just has so many interesting points. So, uh, but I had a little anecdote first though, Michael, uh, I may have told you this before, and this is, this is really, you're sort of a measuring stick of, of, of my, of my own character of my own, like projection is uh, on people. So I can't remember if I've told you this, but the first time uh, I, so I had never heard of you and a lot of people have heard of you for a long time for good reason. I never heard of you. And I went to my hey, first, hey, that, right? <laughs> I know, I feel like that's been there for a while too. <laughs> uh, so I went to my first, uh, NSCA national strength and conditioning, um, like a sort association, uh, conference. And this, this must've been December, 2017. Uh, that's how, that's how much I remember uh, hearing you because I was at this point in my life where I just finished this I'd finished like basically a third year of of training after PT school and I had never once 
heard really about breathing being part of anything. So I just spent all this money and all this time. And here's you up there with this very great sort of introduction of just showing anatomy, not trying to convince anyone of anything and just giving a couple of very general case studies. And in my head, I'm like, who, who is this guy? Like, why is he overcomplicating things? How is he getting, there's no way that he like saw this. I'm like, I don't know about that. So anyway, like a year later, you know, after being introduced to, cause you had, you had convinced me that this is something that, that I needed to open the door to um, by just supplying the information. And I'm, I'm so grateful for it. So, so and obviously now I, you know, I follow you on, on, on social media and, and I, 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 I can't, I can't really get enough of, of things that you have to offer. Uh, and you're always so humble about it and so nice. And everyone in the industry that, that gets to talk to you is like, yo, he's like one of the smartest, but like nicest dudes in the industry. Uh, so just so you know, that is what's being said behind your back. <laughs> On a, I've never heard anything otherwise. Oh, that's, thank you. So I yeah, I, I just want to let you know that that's the case. And, and I, and, and, and now I realize after going through sort of my own journey that, that I am, I, I am very happy to share the state of Maine with you. <laughs> And uh, yeah, state of Maine. Hopefully, we have time to sort of because you post some really cool stuff that you do with your family, and I'm like, how does he find these things? Like these are amazing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so everyone, we got Michael Mullen on here, and um, I I'm super happy to have him. And it actually, Michael, where did you go to school originally? Uh, grew up mostly in Connecticut went to college at Plymouth State uh, College back then, but Plymouth State University, right. uh, decided to get into athletic training. Mm -hmm. because it was kind of interesting to me, just working with my hands, staying in athletics, you know, played a bunch of sports growing up, um, like learning, always like learning. And so, yeah, I went, I went to Plymouth State College back in the uh, early 80s and mm -hmm. had, a, had, a, had a good experience. It was a very, uh, it actually, a side note, it was a good opportunity for me to recognize that if I wasn't self-driven, I wouldn't have done well, and I the per I would have been been where I am today because the program was in a lot of transition. It was just not greatly uh, supervised and managed, mm -hmm. so I had to be very uh, independent as an advocate for myself to be able to learn to grow to to become kind of self-driven and mm -hmm. in order to be able to do what I wanted to do to to frankly be as good as I could as an athletic trainer because otherwise. And it's actually interesting. I was talking about this, whatever, a little while ago with someone. There's not too many people that I graduated with that are still in the athletic training field because of that, I think, because they just, they didn't, they didn't get what they needed. So it started my journey of always wanting to learn and always wanting to kind of like grow and develop and be the best for what it is that I'm going to do. That's awesome. My first job, I'll keep going if you want. My first job was actually in, in Manchester, yeah. New Hampshire. I worked at an outpatient uh, physical therapy facility because mm -hmm. I liked the rehab side of the, 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 uh, the athletic training realm. So I worked and then I ran a program called Safe Sports Network, which was kind of like walk-in injury clinic for a bunch of high schools for them to come in and be seen free of charge. And I assess and give them stuff to work on and refer to a physician if they need to follow up as needed. And during my daytime, I kind of functioned as early on as a physical therapy aide, just kind of supervising the PT clients through their exercise realm of their physical mm -hmm. therapy sessions. 
you know, I provided coverage for um, uh, uh, football games for myself and physician coverage. I, I, I provided continuing education program for coaches and, and local people. And then in that realm is when I started getting more involved on the rehab side and they started giving my own caseload and my, my aid turned into be kind of like an assistant piece hmm. as I started to kind of be able to demonstrate my ability to kind of to do things. So I was kind of supervised by PTs, um, but would have my own caseload and they would then kind of oversee my care and, and co co-sign notes and things like that. So in particular at that time, I was working within the state practice act and hmm. it was okay for my license and things like that as well too. Yeah. Uh, kind of like a, tr- a good transition for me to be able to kind of then move on professionally and, and grow in the rehab realm of things. Yeah, for sure. Because I was uh, I just done another interview with an uh, with Dan Waterman with his uh, business in, in Blue Hill, and so yeah, I've I've actually been sort of curious because it it feels it feels like this the process of for for athletic training in, in the rehab world to to get into that is is like there's just like a couple more obstacles where like someone has to sort of you know for whatever reason because of the you know the practice act and business models depending on the state. There's just like a, there's like you have to be like given like a chance as opposed to like going to school and just having sort of patients thrown at you at that point. But yeah, um, it's part of it's the reimbursement model. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. they gotta, whoever's going to make, whoever's going to pay for us, a facility wants to be able to support. And I get that piece. I've never yeah. been ignorant of that piece. So yeah. I've never tried to undermine the process, but I have tried to offer what I could when I could. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um. So like you do some very cool things with, and your thought process and the amount of things in terms of concepts of various methods and, and philosophies and, and, and the way that you sort of combine them and and the name of your business is perfect, right? Like the integrative rehab training. It's like, well, that's like in, in three words, that's like, that's it, right? Like elevator pitch right there. Yeah, right three there. Words. Yeah, it was this integral. Oh, okay. That I guess I get what's happening. <laughs> so um I remember you you and I, I think we we were texting and I um and you 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 had told me that there was this point in your career, almost like 10 years into it, where you had a pretty big paradigm shift. Um so before that point, can you, can you maybe just sort of compare how you saw movement and health and, and, and how you treated people before, before that paradigm shift and, and then maybe exactly what that yeah. was, if you remember it? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so uh, when, I, when I finished the job in New Hampshire, I was, my wife and I were looking for something just different. So we moved to San Francisco. And so I ran the rehab department for a very prominent orthopedic surgeon's practice. And so mm-hmm. I got kind of really deep into the uh, surgical, post-surgical care, rehabilitation. He's he's very well published, research, evidence, do you know what I mean? Like all the stuff, the latest, I'm in San Francisco, you know, at a prominent surgeon's practice, so it's cutting edge stuff. Um, So I became very uh, involved in the, we'll just say the kind of the traditional models of protocols, Mm -hmm. of hierarchical models of care, of... um, you know, very direct, like surgery is a very direct approach. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is the problem. We go in, we fix that problem, and then we guide them through a rehab program. Um, and so as I continued to take coursework and educate myself, I began to kind of understand more about how the interactions of 
the mechanical elements of how the body worked, but also how some of the internal mechanisms kind of took place. And then when I moved to New Hampshire, I'm sorry, when I moved to Maine in um, 2000, I was doing a lecture and so I was doing some research and I came across the stuff that was online, this postural restoration institute, something or other, feet on walls and balls between legs and like just stuff I had not seen. Mm-hmm. I'd taken a lot of continuing education courses and had been frankly all over the world talking to people. And it was just stuff that looked very novel and I had no idea what it was about. So when I took my first course with them in 2000, was the first time that someone was looking and helping to um, explain things that I was seeing that I couldn't explain, that I just, I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. Why does this look like this? Why does the body have a tendency to do that? Hey, how do I breathe when I do this exercise? I have no idea. You know, why do the ribs look different on each side? Why, you know what I mean? Why, why do I see these biases with the body? Why is that face crooked? Why, you know what I mean? Why are shoulders, it can't be dominant arm because I see left, I see left-handed people that are like this. You know, it's just, a lot of things that uh, weren't adequately explained that it was uh, it would seem like a path that would help to answer some of those questions. And so the respiration element of what the Institute talks about and the mechanics of, of our internal uh, structure was kind of brought to my attention. And so then as I did more objective measures based upon some of their model and as I did more observations and interventions based upon some of their their suggestions, I was starting to see some pretty profound changes, not just in terms of objective measures, which matters, it's what we measure, right? But also how the body worked, like these people felt different. And my my mindset was always one of, hey, do this stuff and you'll feel stronger. And in six weeks, when I remeasure you, your muscle strength will be better. And all these things that I had been under the impression of and do these stretches and you'll gain flexibility and that measure will be better. But now I'm like, whoa, this body changed in half an hour or <laughs> holy cow, they feel totally different and their gait's totally different by just manipulating breath and manipulating positions. And so then it really started to kind of restructure the way that I would, I would treat people and manage their care. And so then obviously it became a search for me to take more courses and do more reading on my own and you know, get books that kind of talked about different ways of looking at things that weren't so direct and that kind of then kind of led me down kind of the, the, the path that I've been on ever since, which is just continuing to seek to find answers to be able to explain things that I can't explain, observations that I see that I don't have an answer for, um, understanding behavior and the influence that has on how people position themselves during the, during the daytime, uh, getting out of my very direct, linear, planar-minded you know what I mean? Uh, well, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. We'll start yeah, yeah. Keep going. Uh, We're doing just looking awesome. at things in that broader scale, you know, all the way down to embryological development and our evolutionary process. And like, I won't go here, but I'm a deep thinker. So um, it's helped me dramatically with being able to have a better understanding of how I feel all our systems have a propensity to integrate with each other, which has helped my idea of how the body does stuff. And it's also helped dramatically with my observational skills to pick up on subtle stuff that it just, something looks a little off. And so it helps with my cueing to say, hey, do this, or hey, move this way, or okay, reach towards my hand or something like that, that dramatically changes an activity and the outcome 
by just being able to see things differently than I had before. And that's just helped me kind of be able to kind of really uh, uh, improve my practice that much more. Yeah, your, your fine tuning of those observational skills. And I, I think I've said this to you before, but it's, it's almost a joy to watch. And if there's anything that if I'm a little, little envious about is, uh, is the fact that it just, it looks like so much fun that you've put so much time <laughs> and energy energy in, 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 into what you do that your toolbox being being so large to help people that it's like you're you know you it's just like a little dance you know I was, I was talking to one of my other mentors in another interview and I sort of told him when he's put his hands on people it looks like a stroll through the park and and I feel like I'm sort of trying to gently wrestle a baby goat you know and it's sort of you know what, what watching you do your thing is uh, even just you know online just looks like Oh, he's having a great time. He's having a great time. So on that note, yes. And, you know, a couple, a couple of elaborations. Number one, I do use these a lot. And, you know, I, I, I feel very fortunate that what I do manually, little air quotes, you know what I mean? Whatever we want to, whatever you want to consider that. Yeah. Whatever's happening to the system as a result of putting your hands on someone, whether it's just resting your hand on a shoulder as you're talking to them mm -hmm. or or doing a technique to guide someone into a better position um, is incredibly powerful. And, you know, I got, I won't spend time on it, but there's a lot of thoughts that I have as to what happens when I do things. But, um, you know, I tell people there's, there's a lot of power what happens with what you do with these, no matter how hard you push. And when you think less directly about like, oh, this isn't moving that way, I want you to that way and more like how do I get the insides and the outsides to work nice together and how can I potentially do some things that help to guide that process along a little bit better um, and then utilizing some of the things that I've basically felt over the years but through the directional influence of some of the courses that I've taken I'm sure the mentor you're talking about is somebody that I spent a lot of time having learned a volume of information from um, that has also helped to direct my model and my mindsets as well too yeah yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fun when when you share share your stuff from from a professional level of even in the last few years how you you, you I don't know if I want to say streamline not that you the stuff that it, it's just your ability to like put things together from all these different aspects in a way that's like concise and not only that but you're like play with language like you're doing like poetry form is like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like chef's cooking. It's like, not only is it tasty, it looks, it looks good. You're like, how do they do that? Well, it's uh, interesting because when my kids were growing up, my children, I had a 25 year old son and a 20 year old daughter. And when they were growing up just for Easter, like every year I would make rhyming poems that would be clues and bring them from one to another. To, so it was kind of like a year. And I got that from my dad, six, seven clues, cars and drive around town to try to find these clues. You know what I mean? But it's fun, you know? And so I found fun doing that. And so if it's a way for people to learn something because it's a ditty or it rhymes or it makes it something that's intriguing for them, mm. then perhaps the message becomes a little clearer for them. And on that note, what I've learned over the years, just in getting feedback from people and, and, and seeing reactions from when I'm lecturing is there's ways to make messages that don't have to sound so techy. And so, you know, I've learned over the years to, to refine my language, to make it more digestible for people because of how I talk to my clients. 
And so there's no reason that when I try to make a message clear with the clients that are novices in the field, there's no reason why I can't take some complicated concepts and make it that way for professionals as well too. And I'm not simplifying all the verbiage and all the conversation with you about, do you know what I mean? To create commonality of language, but to draw them in. I just want to draw people in, not to me, but to information that they can learn and go from. And if it allows it to be more approachable and less of, because I've seen way too much of this over the years, of a put off because it sounds too smart or too techy or they made up their own language or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do because what I do, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just the messenger, changes people's lives. And I get that message all the time from people. Yeah. And that's an incredibly powerful uh, thing that I feel that I'm able to offer people through all of these things that I've learned over the years. And so if I can bring other professionals into that element so they can be life-changing for people because there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of problems. Yeah, a lot. So actually, that's a great segue and to, you know, to what I kind of want to, I mean, you just basically touched on it, is you were talking about some things in terms of what the general sort of public, what our communities understand and what our, and what our doctors see movement. Um, and you know, like you I was going to ask you how it is that you practice making it digestible and, and also being very diplomatic when you are, when you're trying to do the best for the patient to communicate to their members of their care team. Um, which is something that, to be honest, I, I want to continue learning more from you about how to do that. And I know how I do it. It's going to end up being different than how you do it. But and in terms of even maybe a mindset to be in, you know, when you're because because, you know, a lot of the things that you're dealing with, like, you know, uh, so he's sort of talking about the shape change where you're like, how do I get the insides I mean, so I know you're sort of talking about, you know, organs and whatnot, right? The literal insides of our body. And then how is that sort of work with the outside muscles that we're used to hearing about, talking about, and that's the thing that we're treating. Yep. Yep. So, Thank you. No, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just in case people are listening, like, you know, we're talking about inside, whereas in the, in the, traditional view and we've sort of seen like if there was a back problem or a rib problem we're looking at the at the spine and we really don't consider what's on the front of the spine or attached on the front of the spine which is a lot of stuff (laughs) a lot of stuff um to the point where it almost seems too confusing to even consider what's on the front so I don't know, you know, maybe we keep this part in or no, Good. I don't know. Depends how excited you get about it is, yeah. How do you sort of, how do you start to talk to not only patients, but other professionals, especially if they're part of this person's care team in a way that's welcoming and not sort of off-putting, like you said. Um, I'll clarify the point. I'll, I'll, I'll clarify a couple of those things. It's, there's it's almost like two different points there. Number one, Insides and outsides, and you mentioned shape change, which we talk about and think about all the time, but for listeners, mm-hmm. we look at the way the body is arranged and oriented with it when they come to us as a physical therapy patient, as a client, as a personal training client, fitness client. And we work with that. And so we have to measure some things to kind of get an idea about where they're at. But the shape change means that when we see people that have biases of the way that their body is arranging itself, it's 
turned to one side, a pelvis is rotated, you know, ribs are kind of offset in funny positions, arms are inwardly rotated, whatever. Then we've got to kind of change that outwardly appearing shape in order to be able to allow it to get to a better resting position so that it can move more optimally front to back, side to side, things like that. So shape change means above and beyond like uh, moving something around. It's literally changing the way that the joints and the muscles and the tissues are arranging themselves so that the body does something different than it's used to. Novelty, right? Great so point. Novelty. Great clarification. Thank you. Novelty <laughs> yeah. will, help, will help with their variability. Hey, holy cow, that feels totally different. So yeah. now I can actually do these things a little more evenly on both sides. What I'm picturing in my head when I say insides and outsides is I want the body to be able to move because we're layers. Okay. So we're layers of tissue. We got skin, we got fascia, we got bones, we got muscles, tendons, joints, we got a spine, we've got a nervous system, right? So all of these different things that we have, I want them to all be able to move independent of each other. And so if I see someone who comes in and they're in kind of like this position. This is how they turn. Okay, see you move. They're not moving independent of their insides. The whole structure's moving together as a unit, which is that they can't flow. And that's the word that I use throughout my daytime is flow. So I want to get a body to be able to get to a point that that person can move their rib cage to a position, move their pelvis to a position without effort, because it's there. So that when they go to do this, their skin and their fascia is moving independent of each other. The fascia is moving independent of the bone structures. The joints are able to rotate how they're supposed to and stay lubricated. The muscles and tendon structures can gain length and shortening like they're supposed to. The spine can move independent of the spinal cord. The nerves can move and flow between those soft tissue structures where they exit. Frankly, the brain can move independent of the cranium and so that things can move more freely. So all of our fluids around us that are bathing us all day long can move and pump and do what they're supposed to do without restriction. Does that help clarify that? <laughs> I, no, yeah, a, a, absolutely. Um, then when we work on doing respiratory activities and like I tell people all the time, you know, when I talk about breathing or I talk about respiration, Certainly the staying alive piece is important, but it's the most powerful tool that I use and that I have to try and change the way that your body wants to do something. And so that allows us to be able to create that shape change that we're looking for, get things to expand that are restricted, get things to close off and compress where they're overexpanded, get your body to then move to different directions in this, this, this realm. So to your last point, if I can keep going, how do I talk to other people about this? I was on the phone yesterday with two different people, a personal trainer and a chiropractor. And so I just, I speak about things as practically as I can with where I feel that uh, there'll be commonality. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about like that movement that I talked about, like, hey, we've got to get ribs to move. And by the way, you know, with a personal trainer, you know, push pull will be really good for them because I want to have you think about not push pull like you may have learned because this right here, I feel like it's really turning into her spine down below. I want to have you picture like a coil. I want to have you picture like a, like a slinky. So I want to have you picture like when they're doing things that they're just down a little more than you normally would. And then just, just have them kind of manipulate their breath, just smooth and easy. First set, just go short range of motion because then you can kind of grab that coil and kind of get those muscles to all activate. And then each subsequent set, 
increase that range just a little bit, see if that helps to create a little better rotation more evenly through their body. You know, so that kind of language, what I'm picturing in my head internally and externally, what I'm trying to accomplish at the same time, but I think it's an easier message for them. Or yeah. chiropractic realm, I talk about things from the joint perspective, because that's the way that they'll, they'll think. But I'm not mm. telling her what to do. I'm saying, hey, here's what I found, my observations, and here's what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, any input you have for me to supplement that would be welcome. That's a, <laughs> yes, no, it did. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, de definitely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's a great mindset to, to be in, especially on, 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 from the personal trainer, uh, side of things, just, you know, working with, with other professionals that are caring in my community that just, you know, they don't, you know, just because they don't have the same philosophy as me, which is fine and perfect. And, I kind of hope that they don't because this is sort of how we get to, you know, keep moving forward with things and it'd be sort of boring otherwise. Um, right. But no, that's you know that too, Cameron. Can I say one more thing about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it just, I feel like it, it creates an effective communication. So what have you observed? Do you have any, any thoughts about what you've noticed with them? Mm. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, you might have more education than them, right? But that doesn't mean that they may not have some valuable input that you could learn from. You know, it's an accepting way of kind of taking their observations or what they're trying to accomplish and be able to create some commonality versus feeling like you said, oh, hey, here's what I want to have you do with that. Do you know what I mean? That, that information is important and valuable so that they're safe as you as a physical therapist, let's say. But also they may have some information that's actually quite helpful and valuable for you and you can have a better idea of their mindset so that you can kind of come up with some degree of a balance between what those, those two those two things are. Yeah. Then he yeah. says to his client or she says to the client, like, oh yeah, that was great. Cameron had some great ideas. We talked about some stuff. And and guess what? The client is psyched. Everybody wins, right? Right. Oh man, talking. This is great. You know, he thought they were good. They thought they were good. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. I feel like every one of these these interviews I end up just learning something from doesn't matter how how old or practice they are. Everyone's got something. I'm like, oh, I gotta write that down. So I'm gonna do that later. Cool. Um, so what does like, cause you're learning like constantly. What does that, what does that look like? Like, how do you budget <laughs> that time and energy? <laughs> Ooh, so. That's sort of two questions, but feel free uh, to you're go good. how you you're want. Good. You're good. So. Uh, number one, I'm at a stage in my career now, as I mentioned, I got a 25 year old who's, um, I feel blessed and honored. He's an athletic trainer. He actually shares some of the same lines. So to be able to go to the same nice. courses with him and talk the talk, it's just like, it's such a treat. So he's obviously really independent. My daughter's a junior in college up your way. She's at UMO. Um, so I, I don't, have the parenting thing that I had when my children were younger, where I wanted to be here all the time with them. Mm. Okay. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, number two, um, I'm up early every morning. You may know we've exchanged messages at probably 4am, you know, where yeah. I just, I, I get up really early in the morning. I go to bed early at night during the week in particular, because I work better that way. I know mm. people who are better from eight to 11 at night. That's not me. Okay. Socially I am, <laughs> but work-wise, that, that's not when I work well. And so I, I budget my time during that time to 
answer emails, learn something, follow up on a study I was reading, uh, whatever that is. Um, I try to digest something kind of new or different pretty much every day as a result of that. On another note related to that, and yeah. this is a different concept in today's world is that I didn't have this growing up uh, of the instant access to stuff. And so everything that I did was read through books, taking courses, reading manuals, talking to colleagues on the phone, you know, things like that. Cause that's, that's how I learned early on in my career. In fact, a lot of during my career that um, uh, I needed to divulge, I needed to, to uh, direct a lot of my time and energy towards. It's a lot of weekends. It's a lot of days and nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of time invested for me to understand and be able to better appreciate and, and, and write things down and type them out and formulate my thought processes better as a result of it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've directed a lot of time and resources to getting to where I'm at. And there's too much stuff available now. People in the, that are young in their career respectfully want to be here now. It just, it just doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? You've got to, you've got to get the reps in by seeing clients and patients. You've got to get the reps in by making mistakes and going to courses and talking to colleagues and reaching out to people who you respect what they're doing and ask questions or you know, going and asking to observe, can I observe you for a day and traveling to do stuff, investing your time and your money and your resources to get as good as you can. Because in my mind, it's the experience. Experience of time in person with people that allows you to get there, including coursework. Zoom stuff is great. I love the access of it now. I'm taking a lot of any courses I take, a lot of them are online because I can save some money and time that way and spend time with my wife. But there's time investment that needs to take place in order for people to really get better. And to that point, yes, my model is constantly evolving. And I would have, this is going to sound really weird, and I'm putting it out here in public, I would have a hard time writing out my model. And I know that that's a thing that there are people in the industry that say, you really got to write out your model. I respect that a lot. I've read their models. I've attended stuff related to their models. I've learned a lot from what they have to say. But mine can change daily based upon kind of what I've learned and seen and observed. And I make notes about my changes. And so for me to constantly be kind of writing something down and constantly updating and advancing it is really hard for me because I've tried. So I have writings together, like, you know, my current beliefs, like this 12 page manifesto of kind of things that I think and believe. And you know what I mean? And I write yeah. outlines of stuff that I've taken for courses and intensives and, and, and uh, conferences and stuff like that, that allows me to kind of put ideas down. And so then I have a, a, a measurement system that I use with clients that I see and a health history questionnaire, I have them fill out. So I get an idea of stuff, but they change at times. I've got Mary, the body I got to focus on that objective measure thing is going to be elaborated into one area. You with me? Mm-hmm. I might find like, oh, this represents this and find that, nope, that didn't represent that because whatever. <laughs> Something here was a factor. The lighting in the room was the factor. Their sensorial input was too much. I had to, I had to change their auditory influence. I had to change what they felt in their mouth for me to make the appropriate change that I needed in their neck and shoulder because the other things that I did that normally do, that normally help, didn't. I had to strap something on them to constrain them because their system can't do what I want them to do without me utilizing some external um, source of assistance 
to get them where they need to be. I don't, I don't know how to write that out, you know? Cause I don't wanna say every single time, I'll joke real quickly, those Briggs and Myers thing, like, oh, do this. Then you know, there's your, I can't those because it depends is my answer a lot. <laughs> and I don't wanna sound wishy-washy, you know what I mean? No. There's a lot to observation and experience and, and having a formulation of something you want, but there's a lot of gray, Cameron, as you know. It's, well, no, I was thinking about, I mean, to your point, I was thinking about that a lot before I got on here. I've been realizing about an hour before I get on, on an interview, I basically start talking to myself to sort of get into to the mindset for whatever reason. Uh, and and I, was, I was thinking about that in regards to like, if your, if your model sort of can morph just like, you know, a, a, a patient's presentation can within one session, you know, where like you're making these constant observations, it's just, it's just sort of, you, you know, that's the, the strength and sort of the weakness of, of just a lot of the ways that we take in information anyway, right, is, and I had this conversation recently where in like, in academia, especially now, if people are coming out with a doctoral degrees, they're sort of, for some individuals, maybe this feeling of like, since I have a terminal academic degree, I'm therefore have reached the pinnacle of what I need to know to help people, which is obviously, as we know, you literally have just been given the keys to your like first vehicle is pretty much what it is. Yeah, it's like what that is, right? And then go ahead is all you've been doing. You've just been given the okay to do what you want to do. Yes. Like you're, here you go. You have your license. You can now drive where you want to. <laughs> um, and then, but on the other hand, there's also a lot of, I'm not saying with this, with all courses, because uh, I've learned so much. I've realized my learning has taken place from a lot of reading. And I've noticed with just a lot of just talking with individuals to help streamline my, my thought process. So, you know, I see the list of, of some, of courses that some people have been to. I'm like, oh, I'm like, well, I've learned a lot. I'm like, but I haven't done like this, 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 this. Um, and I find it's me talking and then sort of reading to make sure I'm not just accepting what they're, what they have as fact. But in any case, it's, and maybe that's why I'm comfortable with the idea of more so now than I was a couple of years ago of being in this gray area and the sort of idea of the model constantly morphing as opposed to often, uh, in our field is, you know, if, if there's a course that you go to and it's the same way that they taught it, you know, five or six years ago, you know, and if that's sort of the, the, uh, the, the presentation that that's, that's been there, then it can sometimes be, be difficult for people or other clinicians to grasp the idea that it's okay to like, to explore and to learn and to change your mind. Um, You know, and, and, and that's, and the same thing, so any, any potential patients listening, like, you know, I, I, I think I, my clients at this point have gotten a, enough sense where, where, where they, when they see me thinking, they know it's in their benefit, as opposed to being like, oh, why don't you know the answer when you saw it? <laughs> I literally had, it's so funny you said that. I was working with somebody yesterday and, and did a couple things and measured a couple things and went through a couple of interventions, made some good changes, but then I just kind of like stood and I just kind of went, and I went, and she just started laughing. She goes, I love it when you think. Yeah. Like you <laughs> space and you just process. And so, yes, number one, 
I don't want to sound like I'm out in left field all the time. I have principles I follow, right? Mm. You need principles and you need processes. And so I have principles and processes that I follow in order to be able to feel like I have some direction, which I totally do with every session I have. Can you, can you sort of define what like a principles and processes like mean to you? Just so people can hear what that, yeah. hear what that means. Sure. Um, a principle number one is that, um, I, you know, over overarching theme of the body by design is going to compensate period so the longer we've been on the planet the more compensation we put into place number two the body internally can never be the same on both sides period it just it's physiologically in my mind impossible due to the internal mechanics of the way things work you know i could talk about this for two days but just due to the normal internal asymmetrical mechanism of how our body does stuff. And some people through compensation make it do the same on both sides. And that's not okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because yep. they've overjacked their system into a position that they can't move properly. But with those overarching theme orders, I don't want to say arm or leg, be able to kind of move through ranges that I feel allow me to be able to have a pretty good idea of how these upper quarters are all working together to balance out what I look at as, and I describe to people as the egg, mm -hmm. top of the thoracic aperture, top of the shoulders, bottom of the pelvis, pelvic floor, pelvic outlet, as an egg shape that I want to kind of maintain as best as possible as often as possible during the daytime and throughout performance and activity and athletics, knowing it's going to change so that it can open and close. So all those processes are as good as possible in as balanced a position as possible. So necks and craniums and all that other stuff and arms and limbs can move as freely as possible. And the measures of the, some of the measures, you know, you know, looking at directions, the way that arms move, looking similarly what the legs do down below. We can, you know, phrase it as, you know, flexion, extension, ABA, deduction, IR, ER, and just looking at those measures. And if they're pretty good and pretty close to each other, not perfect, <laughs> then I'm like, great, then we can even do more and more advanced stuff. The more imbalanced some of those numbers are, either on one side or in relationship to each other, then the more balanced the system is in my mind, I want to do some things that are going to balance that off. So that's principles that I kind of follow. I want to get them pretty good. I kind of tell good enough. Yeah. I'll look at an activity. Good enough. I might change it for the second set because I don't think they're going to hurt themselves. Processes consist of one risk reward. Is anything that I want to potentially give them going to potentially cause harm based upon what I know of their situation, their diagnoses, they're given symptoms, whatever. Can I cause more harm? Not potentially aggravate something, but cause more harm, okay? And that's, we know what that's all about, but that's a big deal. So I weigh that in with everything. And something I might wanna do, I might be like, mm, I'm gonna wait and see how they respond to this other intervention. Process number two is manipulate breath and use that as that tool we talked about. So I'm gonna do it for some form of something with pretty much every single client that I see. Some respiratory uh, mechanical thing to try and create a change of the way that the body's positioning itself. So I can get these things, as I mentioned, to all be in a better position. So I can do one, weight train with them, 
because that's what they're here for and I see them regularly or two, help them manage the problem they're here to see me for as kind of the rehab specialist, kind of depending upon the hat of the day, right? And so, you know, that's kind of the process number two that I follow. Process number three is education. And I want to have them all understand as a general rule with whatever or not they want, how the body works better than they currently do. How to apply some concepts of what I've gone through with them to their daytime. I go out to people's cars and adjust their seats, show them how I want, them, how I want their car seat. I uh, talk to them how to sit at their desk. I talk to them how they want to have to stand at their working station. I want to show them how to do yoga differently than their yoga instructor taught them. Not teach them yoga, but teach the principles of what I know into the process of the activity they want. Show this high level paddle surfer or this high level kayaker or uh, this uh, professional skier how to do their skill, their sport, the thing that's made them phenomenal better. Not teach them how to do it better, but how their body can manipulate it better by creating senses, references, um, things for them to feel and appreciate, recovery things to try and get them to better positions. And more times than not, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, that feels very different. I'm like, great, don't, don't change a whole lot. You know what I mean? With what you're doing, you got where you needed to be. I just wanna have you have, think of something else to make that paddle stroke different how to get onto that edge a little bit cleaner, how to get that dancer up on top of her point position better so that she can do it better. I'm not a dance instructor, you know what I mean? When I follow the principles, then now I've taught them stuff to apply to their lives to have better carryover, whether they're here to see me for training or whether they're here to see me because of a condition or problem that they have. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, th thanks for clarifying that. Because uh, that's something that, Honestly, and until maybe a few years ago, I hadn't completely been introduced to or I thought that I got it. And, and, and so I, I'm going to assume that many people, not only in the industry, but also just the public in general, you know, as we take in new information, it's, you know, we're not trying to, you know, try to, to follow some protocol, but rather there's, there's principles that, that we understand and any new information that we take in, the principles act as a foundation or, or maybe a template for us to sort of plug and play. And sometimes the template needs to be changed so we can kind of take it over here and then pull it back in. Um, so yeah, one of those, yeah. just real quickly, if I may, is, yeah, absolutely. And you know this, but you know, I'm not sure who's, who'll be listening to this, but it's kind of an interesting concept that I, I tell a lot of clients is my biggest struggle with you potentially being successful with what we're going to do, in particular for people who I've seen who have came to me because they've had pain for years, and they've been to everyone. Mm -hmm. My biggest struggle is my message is going to be reinforced anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They're going to leave and they're going to look at their magazines. They're going to go online. They're going to talk to other professionals. They're going to go to their whatever professional they hear and see. And the message is going to be different. And it's not that I'm right and they're wrong at all. But clearly what you've done hasn't been successful with that message. And I know that message. I'm in the world. I see it. I... I did it for a long time. It's what I learned in school. And it's not wrong. I wouldn't continue to teach it. But it's, it's got significant limitations. And so going back to what we talked about before about insides and outsides and flow and appreciating fluid movement and body exchange and stuff like that is what I have found to be more successful in having people create the appropriate change. You know, yeah. we've talked about this in the past. What, what represents posture? What re represents mm -hmm. core muscles? 
what represents strength and movement. You know what I mean? They're just these very rigid, um, linear, uh, very restrictive concepts of what people are trying to do with really good intentions. But in my mind, it's not allowing a body to be able to function ideally. And yeah. so because of that, I try hard to give them the resources and I record myself. And many times with a new client that comes in, I'm like, hey, do me a favor. Can we take your phone, put it on video? I'm going to prop it up because what was that? Because it's a lot and it's new. It's not overwhelming. It's not fancy words, but it's descriptions that allow them to be able to be more successful what they do. And so I want to have them go back and listen to those things as we go through their process versus leaving and going back to mm -hmm. a, it sounds like I'm bashing something I'm not, a yoga class that might jack them up too much or a HIIT class that's going to jack them up too much or people talking about, you know, shoulder blade squeezes and chin tucks and all these things for posture training. That's not accurate. So right. that helped. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It was it, 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 absolutely. I, um, yeah. And, and, and just to reiterate what you said, like, you know, the, these other, other professionals that people are going to see that are part of their care team, like they have many, most of them have the best of intentions. And, and, and to your point, uh, when we first started this whole thing was, you know, many, many people within uh, that you went to athletic training, you know, uh, uh, college with, and many of them are not in the field anymore, which is statistically actually pretty normal. It seems like it, there's been studies after 10 years, people will switch industries anyway, but you've been, the universe has granted you with this emphatic excitement about what you do for a long time, which is better for, for the rest of, for the rest of us. But yeah, I, 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 you, you make a, you make a great point and where a lot of these people have the, the best of intentions. And unfortunately, I just, I don't think that they've been introduced to what a really good outcome or, or, or some of this, some of these ideas anyway. And to be honest, they end up not enjoying work as much as well. And that's, you know, I worked in outpatient, so this, in case people know, I worked in outpatient PT for a long time. So mm. you know, I ran this rehab department in San Francisco for the surgeon and kind of surgeries and that stuff. I did work in an outpatient physical therapy facility for 16 years when I moved to Maine. Mm. So I worked with, you know, uh, PTs, a whole room full of PTs. So I, 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 get, I get that piece. Um, one of the challenges that I would see regularly is when someone wasn't successful with the PT. And so... Or I would hear other professionals blame the patient and say they're crazy, or I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. They should be getting better, or you know what I mean. I'm not. I'm not bashing any fields. Just physician. I I I was call. that person in my career, so like I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Look at, look at the surgery's perfect. I mean, I you shouldn't still be having pain. They're like, well, I do, you know. And so, <laughs> um, so to to not have answers, and in particular to not seek answers. And I'll say this as well here publicly, if you're a professional watching this, to poo-poo someone who has a different approach, who may have some answers for you that's trying to offer them to you, i.e. the arrows I've taken in my back over the years, mm -hmm. I would encourage them to be more open-minded. I'd say to people, do you really think that what I'm doing is not helpful, that I'd be continuing to do it? 
do you really think that people would be driving in from out of state and all these things to try to come see me if what I wasn't doing was helpful? But yet still in the area, I still hear about people kind of saying, oh, that stuff doesn't work. And, oh, he's that breathing guy or, or whatever versus saying, hey, what are you doing? And why are people coming to see you? That's the part that I feel I wish that people had a better appreciation for. It's coming around more, I think, as you've observed too, Cameron, right? But 20 years ago when I was talking about respiration and breath and influence on the body, I mean, I was, I was clearly the outlier. And so... It's starting to change the rehab industry, but I encourage you to think about things differently than you might. More times than not, it's not the patient. Almost always, it's not the patient. It's what you've done so far just hasn't been successful, and that's fine. So do me a favor, consider learning something so that the next time you see it, you might approach it differently or have another option if that approach, your initial approach doesn't work. Two, humble yourself and reach out to maybe someone who is not the same uh, realm as you and a, a different mindset and say, I've got this really complicated person. Do you mind seeing them for a session or two? I'd love to see your thoughts because I'm just, I'm not making progress. I get that from some colleagues locally, which is awesome, but I really wish that there was more of that. Great point. Uh, I mean, I've got like one more sort of fun question. Cool. <laughs> When, where, you posted you ice skating up a river. <laughs> and I was so jealous. And I'm like, <laughs> where is this? <laughs> and how long did it go for? Um, I'll, 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 I, I, the first time I, I found Nordic skating, it's called Nordic skating is what they actually call it. And I think people okay. are like Finland and stuff like that. I mean, those rivers freeze and they, you have to kind of like observe, you're, you're in an area where it's, it will happen. It's mm -hmm. certain situations seasonally in the winter time where there's just the right amount of cold and not as much snow that's right. cold, free snow, cold, free snow, that's just rough. That was just awesome. And I couldn't, I, I finally had people that come before over the course of a week and saying like, I'm telling you, it's perfect. I'm like, what? So I finally had time to get out there because there was a big snowstorm coming. 17 miles. I went down four miles, back four miles, up eight. You know, it's like, it was just, I just, it was up and down in a river. And it's a river that I know well around my area. Mm -hmm. And it was just an absolute treat. And I'm not a big ice skater. I ice skate pretty well, but it's like, that was fun. And so like, I'm part of a group, not a group, I found a group that like is their Nordic skating locally. And do they post when the rivers are just so and which rivers are ready to go. So yeah. I'm ready for next year to kind of get on it a lot more. Super fun. But, I got to check, I got to check that out. I'm not a particularly great ice skater, but that, it looks like, I'm like, that is unbelievable that he's getting up and down that. I'm like, what am I doing? That and thanks for finding Lucky Pigeon. I got to go, I got to go check that out. The gluten-free well, brewery. Your point, like you mentioned early on when we first started, you know, Maine is just a, a playground in my mind. And it's just, mm. you get four seasons and seven seasons, right? You get mud season, you got pre-winter, serious winter, you know. Um, but there's just so much to do that I just love to explore. So I, I try to read what I can. I try to go to different places with my wife or with friends um, and, and, and have opportunities like that to just explore other areas of the state that I think is, is just fabulous. 
yeah, I, I feel like I, I could have done, could have just kept going on about, cause I'm like, how does he make the state in this? Like you said, like a playground, like how he finds the coolest looking things. Michael, well, I know you've got a, uh, time off. Oh, yeah. Hold that thought. Yeah, yeah. If I may. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing for people to know, yeah. I work very long days. Mm. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate, a very full schedule that's booked out quite a while, but I work very long days. So I really value my time when I'm not working. And it's not all about studying and learning and growing as a, as a professional. It's like, I got to spend time with my wife, my children, whenever they're around, but get out and explore nature and be in the world because that stuff really is incredibly important to me mentally, physically, emotionally. You know, I love to weight train, but I love to be on my bike, on my paddleboard, on my skis. You know what I mean? I love to be out mm. doing stuff and play, uh, which I really wish that more people did versus just looking at everything as potentially exercise, mm. because that's an important part of it. But it should be play, too, and not always a competition. No, I'm, I'm glad that you bring that up, because I am I'm one to constantly be thinking like it, ha it has to be a an execution of something of a task rather than just go explore and like be 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 present in the moment which i know people, you know we say all the time but you you're, you're a great example of that and so it's uh, often so i i do appreciate when when you post stuff like that as well because it's like what am i doing like why <laughs> you know like let's let's budget and value my time more really energy so that way you know, that, that I have that energy to expend rather than like just letting it sort of overflow into the evening or the weekend, whatever it may be. So. Yeah. It's the experience, right? Mm. And if, you, if you're getting your heart rate up big time, you're using some muscles and getting some exercise, fabulous. I want that too, but it's, it, it's, it's the experiences. You can never, you can't take away memories. Well, you can if you're anyway, but memories are the most valuable thing you can own. How's that? <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Dude, this was a blast. I had a great time. Michael, thanks for coming on. This was, this was, this was a gift to me. I, I learned some new stuff as well. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I'll let you go to your patient. Um, anything else you wanted to add? Uh, you know, obviously thank you for the opportunity that, you know, we chuckled, we chuckled before we actually got online, you know, anytime someone wants to kind of listen to what I have to say, it means a lot to me for a number of different reasons, but um, I, I appreciate what you're bringing to the industry. I appreciate what you're trying to do by getting other people out there to people have to, for people to learn new messages and to create new, uh, maybe appreciations or directions for them to look at things personally and professionally. So thank you for what you're doing as well, my friend. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, this is, this, 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 this was just what, just what I was really hoping for and a great way to start my morning. All right, Michael, I'll let you go to your patient and I'll talk to you soon. Forward to it. Cheers, everyone. Take care. Right, my man.